Well, here we are, the first chapel of the semester. It's exciting. Beginnings are always exciting. A new start, a clean slate, a lot to look forward to. But as I've been thinking on this first chapel service together, I've been reflecting a lot on our final chapel service together, that is the one that's coming up in just a few short months. It's Friday, May 12th. I looked it up. I'm thinking about that chapel service today because where you end up has a lot to do with how you start out. And as we get together in that uh, final chapel service, we'll ask you, what do you have to share? Tell us what God's done for you and through you throughout this semester. Well, we're not there yet. It's still four months off. But I'm telling you, where you end up in that final chapel has a lot to do with how you start out in this very first chapel. Where will you be? I don't mean physically. We probably won't be in this room. You probably won't be in that chair. Where will you be personally, spiritually, in your walk with God and your experience with God? And I believe today and in these next few days, how we approach these meetings is going to determine how we end up throughout the semester and indeed at the end of the semester. You've probably heard of the missionary C.T. Studd. A man who's remembered today, 150 years after his life, he ended well because he began well. You probably know this story. He was about your age, that is about the age of an average college student. When he gave his life to the Lord and he surrendered to walk a life of faith in foreign missions. It wasn't long after that he ran into a serious challenge, a big hardship came across his life. Do you remember what happened? He inherited millions in American dollars, in modern times. He received an inheritance that today would be worth millions of dollars. Now to you and me, we might not think of that as a problem. We might say, hallelujah, my prayers have been answered. I'm going to pay off all my college bills and never have to pray about it. I'm going to head to the foreign mission field and never have to trust God. C.T. Studd said, this is a big problem. I need to get busy. He began giving it all away. He gave away, again, the equivalent in modern times, about a million dollars to D.L. Moody. And then he turned around and gave away about a million dollars to George Mueller. And then he gave away a few million more to other good ministries and missions. Well, a few months after that, he ran into another little hurdle. He thought he'd given it all away, and he realized his father's will had left him an inheritance of more than he thought. He had some left over. He said, I better give that away, too. He gave it all away. Here was a man who started well by giving. He remembered the words of our Lord that we're going to study this morning in the chapel service, Matthew chapter 10. He remembered that Jesus said, freely ye have received, freely give. Just because it's in my hands, he said, it doesn't belong to me. Freely ye have received, freely give. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. I want to take us back to basics this morning, just starting out in this series of meetings. I want to bring us back to the beginning, so to speak. Why are you here? Why am I here? We are not here for ourselves. Why does God bless us so richly with the many gifts that he's given us? You might not be able to see it right now. You might not be able to touch it, but there's a gift in your hands. And it's not for you. 
We are not here for ourselves. Freely ye have received, Jesus said. Freely give. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 through 8. Here's an interesting scenario. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his students, and now he's sending them forth. He's sending them out on a ministry journey. And we'll examine this text. The first part of the text we'll see here, the Apostles' Commission, as Jesus sends these disciples out. Then the final part of the text, we'll look at a second point, the impossible mission. What Jesus was expecting them to do was quite literally impossible. And as we look at these two parts of the text, we'll see these two principles. First of all, in the first half of the text, you'll see the gift is not for you. It's meant for somebody else. The gift is not for you. It's just passing through. You're just the messenger. And then in the second half of the text, we'll see another important point. The gift is not from you. What God is asking you to give doesn't depend on your resources and your abilities. The gift is not from you. So let's start by reading together. I'll read. You follow along. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he, Jesus, had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles, verse 2, the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas, and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any of the city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Freely ye have received, freely give. Now first of all, we're going to see here the Apostles' Commission. And this portion of the text illustrates once again that the gift that God has given us is not for us. We're meant to pass it on. An interesting time in the life and ministry of Jesus because this is the moment when the disciples become apostles. You can see reflected even in this text that these 12 are called both disciples and apostles. Verse 1, the, the 12 disciples, Jesus called them together. And then verse 2, these apostles he sent out. In fact, as you scan down to verse 5, you can see that phrase, these ones Jesus sent forth. And that word is interesting. Sent forth in that verse is actually the word apostle. This group of learners, of students, Jesus at this moment apostled them. Now, there's a difference between disciples and apostles. We didn't invent the term apostle. Church tradition did not invent the term apostle. The Gospels tell us Jesus himself called these 12 apostles. But there's a difference between a disciple and an apostle. Now, real quick, let's talk about this because I believe it's instructive. There's a lesson that we can learn. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, a student, one who learns. Now, in that regard, all of us in here are disciples. We're all here to learn, are we not? But there's a question, will we become apostles? 
From the very beginning, Jesus had the idea that his disciples would one day become apostles. What's an apostle? Anybody know this? I'm going to go ahead and ask you. I'm talking a lot. What's an apostle? Do you know? Is it what? A sent one, one who is sent, sent forth. That implies that he's been sent by somebody. It also implies he's been sent to do something. So here we see the apostles' commission. Now it's time for them to go. And can you write this down if you like to write notes? Here's a phrase you might want to think on. No training is complete until the student leaves. Wow. Now here's a surprise. You and I might think just being with Jesus is what discipleship is all about, but Jesus has a different idea. He said to these men, it's time for you to go. Look how often the word go is repeated in our short text that we just read three times. Jesus says, go, go, go. It's time to go. No training is complete until the student leaves. Hey, listen, your parents love you, but they don't want you in the house forever. No, I'm serious. Part of good parenting is when your child grows up, becomes mature, becomes a responsible and productive member of society, maybe even starts a family of his own. Now, that's good parenting. You don't want the kid in the basement forever. You with me? Hey, listen, your teachers love you, but we don't want you here forever. We talk about coming to, <laughs> we talk about coming to school, but it's funny, really, when you come to school to leave, right? That's the whole point. Maybe you took one of my classes last year. I hope you enjoyed it. I don't want to see you again this year. Hey. No, go do something else. Teach somebody else what you learned. That's why you're here, to go. One day you're going to graduate. You're going to leave. You're going to help somebody else with what you've gained here. We're not here for us. We're meant to pass these gifts on. Jesus said to his apostles, it's time to go. I remember many years ago, a student here at the school asked me a question that got me thinking. It might have been the first time I've ever really pondered on this point. It was quite a while ago, but over there in the lunchroom, she said to me, Mr. Zempel, don't you think that the pinnacle of the Christian life is just spending time in the presence of Jesus? And wow, that sounded really spiritual. But you know, as I just thought about it for a second, I had to say, no, that's not the end of the road. There's more to it than that. What if I spend time in the presence of Jesus and never brought anybody else with me? What if I spend time learning from the Lord and never shared it with anybody else? Wouldn't that be a tragedy? No training is complete until the student goes. And let me tell you this as well, no blessing is complete until it's shared. No blessing is complete until it's shared. What we're talking about this morning, the theme, the, the gift is not for you. Freely ye have received, Jesus said, freely give. These disciples are not meant to just sit and enjoy the experience of being with Jesus. The blessing's not really complete until they share it with someone else. Can you think about this text that we're looking at right now in our own Bibles? On the top of my page, it shows the author, the human author. What's his name? Matthew. Does he appear in our text anywhere? Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. Do you see the name Matthew anywhere there? Just by way of illustration, what if Matthew had never shared this with us? We wouldn't have anything to talk about in the chapel this morning. The blessing is not complete until you share it. 
I brought with me a couple of illustrations, and not even kidding, this is just some items I happen to have on my desk this morning. I have a couple of things that I thought I might show you. Do you know what this is? Falls Baptist Church, do you know what this is? It's the Christmas gift. I have a couple of outreach visits on my desk from the Christmas event, folks I need to go visit, and I'm meant to give them a gift. Now, what would you think of me? If I went out on visitation with my Christmas visit and my Christmas gift, what would you think of me? Cherie, you're getting ahead of me. Slow down. What would you think of me if I went out on my visit and along the way, John, I got hungry and I ate the gift? What would you think about that? How about that, Kamaya? Take an extra gift with you out on visitation just in case. You never know. No, you'd say that's not right. That's not yours. Just because it's in your hands doesn't make it yours. You're a dirty thief. By the nature of my job, checks come across my desk frequently. This morning I happen to have three checks on my desk. I just brought them with me just for the illustration. I've got a check here that's a donation to the school. Amen. I've got a check here that is a payment of a student bill. Got another check here that's actually a gift that's meant to help a student with a student bill. What would you think of me if I said, I've got bills too? I think I'll hang on to that check. Okay, relax. It's just an illustration. <laughs> I can't actually do that. <laughs> by the way, it's not in the notes, but by the way, that's why I don't take cash from people. I don't. From time to time, somebody will offer and say, here's some cash for such and such. We don't do it that way. We don't, I don't take cash in my hands. Why? Because of this very issue that we're talking about right here. There can be no chance at all that the gift won't get to its intended recipient. It's just an illustration, but what would you think of me if I said, yeah, I could use that check. I'll just keep that one. You would say you're a thief. You're a criminal. I'd lose my job like that, Right? And I should. Now what does God think of you and me when we assume that the blessings he's placed in our hands are for us? Just because they're in our hands. Hey, listen. You have your daily devotional time in the morning. You read and you study because you need something. You're looking for a word of encouragement for you. And you forget that what God gives you in your personal time isn't just for you. I'm telling you, it will transform your daily devotions if you remember it's not all about me. What if God gave you something in that morning time that you were meant to share with somebody else? And you just kept it. You just held on to it. We've talked about this from time to time. I'm just saying we're going back to the basics this morning. You think your college experience is about you. I need to work hard, I need to focus, I need to study so that I can be everything that I need to be. It's not about you. You're here for somebody else. The gift, just because it's in your hands, is not meant for you. You're meant to pass it along. Even the trials that God entrusts us with, we immediately assume it's all about me. My suffering, my lessons that I need to learn, my testimony that I'm going to share about my experience of this trial. 
The trials that God gives you are not for you. Do you understand that? It's a blessing of God. I know it sounds odd to say that. It's a blessing of God you're meant to pass on to somebody else. And I believe it will transform this school if from the top to the bottom, from side to side, we all recalibrate our focus and understand we are not here for us. The disciples were not with Jesus for them. They were there actually for us, you see. The gift isn't for you. You're meant to pass it on. Now that's just the first point, and let's quickly look at a second. We could see in the Apostles' Commission, when Jesus sent these disciples out, he said, it's time for you to graduate. You've got to go on. You need to go. We learned the gift was not for them. They had to pass it on. Just as for you and me, the blessings we have in our hands, not for us. We're supposed to pass it on. Let's consider also... A second point, the impossible mission that Jesus is sending them on. And we'll see here that it doesn't depend upon them. The gift is not for them, and the gift was not from them. For you and me, the gift is not for us, but it's not from us either. This is a good point for those of us who are a little discouraged here this morning. You've lost your way a little bit. You're back in school, but you don't really know why. You kind of wish you were somewhere else. You've lost touch of that vision you used to have. The energy and the enthusiasm is gone. Why am I here? This is an encouraging point for those of us who are feeling a little overwhelmed today. Three hours into the semester and it's already impossible. Well, none of us in here is immune. I look at the schedule and I say, well, God, if you don't help out, we, we're, it's not going to happen. And Jesus expected things from these disciples that were literally impossible, but they did it. He gave them impossible expectations, but he also gave them eternal power. Now think on this point, verse 7. Think about the expectation of Jesus. Think about how impossible this is. I'm trying to picture the scenario. Maybe it's a sunny morning. Maybe they're sitting on a grassy hillside. The disciples are gathered around. Jesus has... They've typically done in the past, they're expecting that, that heavenly word from him that's going to encourage their hearts and the, the training that they've received from him that's going to be a blessing to them. And Jesus says, you got to leave, and I'm not going with you. Whoa, they're shocked. That's different. That's not what they were expecting today. And then Jesus says these words, verse 7, as ye go, preach. Maybe that doesn't surprise you, because you know the disciples ended up preaching. But remember, these were not trained preachers. These were not uh, men who were skilled in academic pursuits. Uh, they, they were fishermen, you know? And Jesus said, go preach. Wow. I don't know if any of you men remember the first time you ever preached a message. You remember what that was like? <sighs> Scary. Whoa. I remember the first time, I think I was 15 years old when my youth pastor said, you're going to preach in the Sunday night service. I said, what? Oh, with actual people in there? Hmm. As you go preach, Jesus said. But he didn't stop there. Hey, preaching, they had seen it done before. They had heard Jesus do it. They could maybe put together a little something, a little outline real quick, a couple of thoughts. He said, as you go preach and, verse 8, heal the sick. Wait a minute. Heal the sick? We're not physicians. 
We're not doctors. Oh, but he continues on. Cleanse the lepers. Now, that's impossible even for a trained doctor. And what I'm imagining is that there was probably one of those disciples. There's always one. The class clown, you know, who is hearing this list of expectations. And as you go out, I want you to preach. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the lepers. And he thought it was funny. Whoa, <laughs> he's kidding. He's not kidding. He wasn't. Raise the dead. Verse 8. Raise the dead. Let's pause for a second. I ask you a question. Did these actual men named here, did they ever do any of these impossible things? Ever? Do you know anything about that? Did these men ever actually do what Jesus expected them to do? Did they? Did they ever preach any sermons? Did they? They did. Did they ever heal any sick people? They did. Did they ever cast out any devils? They did. Matter of fact, the Gospels tell us they returned from this ministry trip and they were so surprised. They said to Jesus, this is amazing. Even the devils are subject unto us. It's incredible. They did. Even in the Gospels, they did. Did they ever raise the dead? Any of these people named in this passage, did they ever raise the dead? They did. They did the impossible things that Jesus expected them to do. How did that happen? Verse 1, he gave them power. It wasn't their ability that mattered. It wasn't their technique that was at stake. He gave them power, and he said, go, do it. Now we read about these things in the book of Acts in particular. Some of these apostles, they went ahead and did these things. Seems like almost regularly. I don't know, maybe they got tired of it after a while. Maybe it became such a part of their routine, raising dead people, healing the sick. You know, it was just another day at the office. I don't know. Maybe they got used to the miraculous after a while. I don't know. But do you know there had to be a first time? What would the first time be like? Raising dead people is not something you can work up to. (laughs) You either do it or you don't. You understand? I mean, really, they did. They raised dead people. You either believe or you don't. It either happens or it doesn't. What was the first time like? (sighs) And I'm picturing Peter and John. They've been been sent out by Jesus on this ministry trip. Wow. We don't really want to go, but he said we have to go. Okay, they're walking down a dusty lane. They're coming up to a village. They see the village. They oh, oh boy. They get that little flutter in their heart. Well, here, here it is. They walk into the village in a square, and they look around, and and it's empty. Nobody's there, and they say to each other, hallelujah, nobody's home. (laughs) This is great. Nobody's here. But then they hear it. Off in the distance, a side street, they hear a noise, and they look over here, and there's a big crowd of people walking toward the village square. Mm, Sounds like they're crying. Why is everybody weeping, wailing, and crying? The whole town walks into the square, and there they are, carrying a dead man. And all these villagers are wondering, who are these strangers? They stop there. They look at Peter and John. Peter and John look at them. Peter and John look at each other. And then they look at the dead man. And they remember the words of Jesus. Raise the dead. I don't know exactly how it happened, but there had to have been a first time. Peter says to John, well, 
Go ahead. John says to Peter, I'd rather not. I'll be the silent partner. I'll be praying for you. You do it. <laughs> Peter says to John, well, you know how shy and backward I am. I don't like to put myself forward. <laughs> but they step forward, remembering that Jesus told them they were supposed to do it. They say, well, we better do it. We better do what we were told. And they step up to this dead man, and just at that moment, it occurs to them, he never told us how. <laughs> Look at the text. Did Jesus tell them how? He did not. Because it's not in the technique. It's in the faith. You believe on me, I gave you the power, Jesus said. I gave you the power, you believe me. It's not the technique, it's not the series of steps. You go do it. So they say, all right, if this does not work out, we are going to look like the biggest fools, but we better give it a try. Hey, I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life when God has asked you to do something impossible, and you thought, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to look like the biggest fool, but I better give it a try. And they step up and they say to this man, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up. And there's a very heavy silence for a while. And then the man sits up. And that whole crowd of people are shocked. And Peter and John are shocked. And these people say, who are you? Why are you here? Tell us what message you're bringing. And Peter and John say to themselves, this is great. I could do this the rest of my life. And they did. Now, we don't have time to listen to my stories. I remember when I was in school, teachers expected me to do impossible things. To a great degree, that's why I'm here today. We don't like impossibilities, but when you're walking with Jesus, that's where, we want, that's where you want to be. That's when the good stuff happens. And I had those good parents and good leaders and teachers in my life that expected me to do stuff that I knew I could not do. And I had proved so many times I could not do it. And they said, no, you go ahead and do it. And indeed, God himself, who so often has expected me to do things that I knew I could not do. Jesus expected the impossible from these men, but he said, I've given you the power. He gave them the power, verse 1. He said, go. How's that going to work out, Jesus? Here's the answer. Freely ye have received, freely give. Freely ye have received, freely give. The semester looks impossible to you. Jesus already gave you the power. What's at stake is not your ability. It's not your experience. It wasn't a question of how much experience did Peter have walking on the water before he jumped out of the boat. How often had he practiced in the past? before he jumped out of the boat. That wasn't the issue at all. You walk with the Lord. You get a hold of God. He has already given you the power. Freely ye have received. Freely give. The gift is not from us. It's not up to us to manufacture what other people need from us. It's from 
Jesus Christ. The gift is not for us. We're not meant to sit back and enjoy the blessings that God has so richly showered upon us. We're meant to pass them along. A few years back, a man in California was arrested and imprisoned. He was charged with grand theft. The man was a FedEx delivery driver. Now you tell me, why was that man imprisoned and charged with grand theft? What do you think? Ah, you guessed it. He had been delivering packages and kept a whole bunch of them for himself. Now, how was this man found out? Well, some of his family and friends received Christmas presents from him that year that came in FedEx boxes. And they got suspicious. They turned him in. Yes, this man had been keeping packages that were not intended for him. He was a delivery man. He was supposed to pass them on, and he didn't. Now, how about you? You've been keeping anything that really belongs to somebody else. It's got somebody else's address on it. You assume just because it's in your hands, it's yours. I told you a minute ago about C.T. Studd. When he realized he was inheriting so much, he began to get busy and he gave it away. I would say he gave it all away, but he, he gave almost all of it away. He actually kept a little portion because he was about to get married. He married a nice Christian girl named Priscilla. And he thought it would just be the right and the loving thing to do to give her a wedding gift as they were going to get married. So he kept a little bit of that inheritance. Not for himself, again, he was going to give it as a gift. And before their wedding, C.T. Studd told his fiancée Priscilla about this gift. He said, I've got a little wedding gift for you. Do you know what she said? Let's give it away. She said to him, do you remember the words that Jesus told the rich young ruler? Sell everything you've got and give it all away. She said, we better do that. Now that was a match made in heaven. There was a girl who was worthy of this man. They married. And even today, so many years later, we're quoting him and we're talking about him and his ministry because he did not grasp the blessings that God had given him. Freely ye have received, he remembered. Freely give. One biographer many years later said this about C.T. Studd. His life will be an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. He has demonstrated what it means to follow Christ without counting the cost and without looking back. And he went on to minister in China, in India, in Africa. Now what's God going to do with your life uh, this semester? Where will you be? At the end of this semester, I believe a lot of it has to do with this lesson right here. Freely you have received, freely give. You're not here for you. And it will transform your walk with God. If every blessing you receive, you make a concerted effort to give it away. And if you remember that your personal success and your ministry success this semester is not dependent upon you, it's His power that's at stake not your own. Freely ye have received, freely give. Will you make a commitment to follow Christ in this semester? Let's bow together for prayer.